Good morning. Hey, um, yesterday was, last night was kind of heavy, and it was meant to be a little heavy because we're dealing with the truth of God's word, the truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the truth that all, 1 John 1 8, says if we, if we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And I'm aware that sometimes it's easier for those who are furthest from God to recognize their sin. We see that all throughout the New Testament. We see the Pharisees and Jesus battling it out. The Pharisees who said, I don't need grace. I've done, I'm a good kid. I come from a good family. I've done all the things my parents have asked. I go to church every Sunday. I go to youth group every Wednesday. I, I, I read my Bible. I'm, I'm a good kid. I, I'm not a sinner. And yet we still have to wrestle with the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We like to look at our piece of white paper and go, I have less marks on it than, than so-and-so. But the truth of God's word is that if we have one mark, we are imperfect in need of grace. If we've only sinned once, we are in need of something we can't provide ourselves. And so that's where we left off. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. There's consequences for our sin. And at the end of our message yesterday, we're just left holding all of our imperfections, all of the things that separate us from God. And today we're going to start getting into some of the good news. One of the things that I, I love to watch on TV is uh, like the National Geographic Channel or Animal Planet. Have you ever seen uh, predators uh, that, that are just attacking their prey? Have you ever seen that like on the, on, yeah? Are you guys awake? You guys with me? We're here? Okay. All right. Not yet. We'll get you there. Okay, so the cool thing is, like, if you turn on uh, Animal Planet and you, you watch, like, the, these predators, they're like, the cheetah, the cheetah's approaching the gazelle. And they're whispering like they're there, but they're not. They're just voiceover. They want you to think, like, the cheetah approaches through, through the tall grass. The gazelle doesn't know he's approaching. Like, there's this, this, this group of gazelle that are out in the plains, and, and the cheetah, like, starts to move closer to the gazelle, and you're like, he's going to get him. And you're so excited because you're weird. And you really want to watch some animal eat another animal. So, so he's, he's like, he's, he's approaching. The, the gazelle has no clue that the cheetah's there. And then all of a sudden, you see the cheetah just boom. And he starts, cheetahs are fast. I don't know if you know that. But like, like uh, that's my cheetah running. So the cheetah just books it after the gazelle. And the cool thing is, if, if there was a cheetah here, uh, you don't have to be the fastest person. You just have to be faster than the slowest person, and you'll be okay. So there's one, one gazelle that, that is the slowest out of all the gazelles, and you just see this cheetah pursuing this gazelle. It, it's hungry. It's like some of you at dinner time, like you're, that, you're hungry, and you get to that, that, that uh, buffet line, and you're like, get out of my way. That's the cheetah pursuing the gazelle. And the gazelle takes off running. And this, this, pursuit, in, it, it, this pursuit incurs. And, and it, it's, like, it's like 
Part of you wants the gazelle to get away and part of you wants the cheetah to catch him. And you're like, I just want to see a really, really great pursuit. My, uh, my father-in-law is a retired LAPD helicopter pilot. And I, I, got, I had the privilege of going up with them a couple times. And each time I'm praying, I'm like, God, let's please give us a police chase. I don't care what the guy did. I don't even care if he's guilty. I just, I want to be in a police chase. Like, I want that story. Like, I want to be in a helicopter and flying over the, the 405 freeway. And, and I want to I be able to see what it's like for the police to pursue somebody that's, that's trying to flee from them. The rest of the Bible, from Genesis 3 on, is about this type of a pursuit. It's, it's about a pursuit just like this, just like the cheetah, just like the police. It's a pursuit that, that they're going to pursue. God's going to pursue his people at, at any cost. Romans 1 says it like this. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Today we're going to look at the promises and the pursuit of God through the Old Testament. We're going to cover the Old Testament in one chapel, so good luck. All right, here we go. We pick up in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, they're kicked out. And in verse 15, we see a glimmer of hope that we're going to start to see take root. He says in verse 15, and I will put enmity. Enmity, it's one of the words I can't say. Enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed, Satan, and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so this is this is this is the first gospel. This is the first time we hear the good news that God is going to be at work in the world to battle the effects of Satan, to battle sin. And so in verse 15, we start to see this hinge verse for the whole rest of the Bible. Sin has happened, and now we see this hinge verse. The, the whole rest of the Bible hinges on this verse between how things were and how things should be. And so this word enmity, it, it means hostility. See, God's going to put hostility between Satan and humanity. And we're going to see this, this lifelong conflict between Satan and humans. We see it in the world. We see it, we see it in the evil in the world. We see it in, in murder. We see it in, in rape. We see it in human trafficking. You could, you could go on and on with how we see this battle with Satan in our world. We see it in the human sexuality debate, the, the belief of lies that somehow, even though we're born man, male and female, that somehow there's this third option we see it in the fact that we're starting to question whether God really, really wanted us to be one man and one woman for life. We see it in the divorce numbers in, 
in our country, both in and out of the churches. We see this battle over the nuclear family. Is, is that really right? Like, do we really want people to get married first and then have kids? Is God's way really true? We see glimpses in this world that are colored by this conflict between God or between Satan and between God. And he says, you shall bruise him on the heel. He's speaking to Satan. Have you ever had a bruised foot? It hurts, right? You have one right now. Sorry, feel bad for you, but you can relate. I think I gave it to you just so you know what we're talking about today. So you can thank him for that. Uh, so a bruised foot really hinders your ability to walk. Like if, if it's the ankle or if it's the bottom of the foot, if you have a bruised foot, there are bugs everywhere. If you have a bruised foot, it really causes you to limp. And all of a sudden you're, you're walking through life like this. And what God says is, you're going to bruise him on the heel, Satan. You're going you're gonna to make it tough to walk. You're going to make it tough to walk through this life. We are living with a limp. You guys, I want you to hear that. As Christians, we're living with a limp. Because the whole time we walk through our lives as Christians, we've got this bruised heel. It's called the flesh. And when we're walking with God, We've still got this flesh that, that hangs on to us. It hinders our walk with God because we're going to have this tension playing out over time between the spirit of God and the flesh. I'm sure some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You want to follow Jesus, but you constantly get pulled back to the flesh. And so God says you're going to have this flesh, this sin, this temptation that you're going to walk with your whole life. But he says, he, the seed, the Messiah, shall bruise you on the head. See, a, a bruised foot hurts. A broken head kills you. And so the promise is that even though Satan will have its effect on this world, even though he's going to affect the way that we live and the way that we walk, eventually, you, you guys have math books with the answers at the back of the book? Yeah? Yeah. You wish? Okay, so when I was in high school math, uh, every odd question in the book was in the back of the book. So they wanted to give you the answer so you could check or cheat, whatever you decided. This is the answer in the back of the book. This is the answer. He says, he says you're, you're going to hinder humanity, but, but there's one who's going to come. There's a Messiah who's going to come, and he's going to deal this death blow that will end your reign. And then we see God put his plan into work, this pursuit. This pursuit of, of his, his, his humanity, his creation. Remember, we, we go back to the first night we were here. There's something, there's something incredible that God sees in us, and it's not us, it's him. He created the sun, the moon, the stars. We went over all of that, and he looks at us, and he says, you are very good. And so he begins this pursuit. I was talking to someone last night, and they made the observation that when the angels fell, God didn't pursue them. 
when Satan fell, God didn't make a way to be right with them because they were not made in his image. They are not his prized possession. I want you to feel how much God loves you, that he would pursue you, that in the midst of your sin and your rebellion, he didn't pursue the angels. He simply cast them out of heaven. And later we're going to see in Revelation, not only does he, do, does he cast them out of heaven, he prepares a place for them for eternity apart from him. But for us, he says, I can't do that. I love them too much. And so he starts this, starts this pursuit in, in Genesis 3.21. We see the, another glimpse. He says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Even after their rebellion, God doesn't stop caring for his children. And I want you to put two and two together. So he, he creates this garment of skin. How did he get it? He killed an animal. And so in Genesis 3, we see the first animal sacrifice to cover the sin and the guilt and the shame of God's people. And in this, he begins the process of making things right again. They would, they would wait for thousands of years, but God was at work at, at this plan of redemption. And so all of a sudden, years later, when Moses is on the scene in Leviticus, we see God hand down what's called the law, the law. And it became this measuring stick for humanity. It's Genesis through Deuteronomy. You're going you're gonna to see, see this, this, the, this idea of the law. And it, it becomes 613 laws that the Jewish people had to live by in order to be perfect in order to be perfectly in line with the will of God. And so this is how God reveals his standard to humanity. He says, here's my law, and you're responsible to keep it. Now, spoiler alert, he knew we couldn't. Because of their sin nature, it was impossible for God's people to keep perfectly the law. And so God drawing from what he did in the garden. Remember, he killed an animal and he covered the sin and the guilt and the shame. Drawing from that, he gives them a way to cover up their sins for a while. He called it the sacrificial system. In in Leviticus uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 15, I just want you to listen. This is what what the, the sacrificial system looked like. So God's people couldn't live up to the law. And so once a year, he would he would institute this sacrificial system just to cover up the sins of the people. It says, starting in verse 15, then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin. He being the high priest, the the high priest would slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel, their sin, and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. Verse 17, when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the assembly of Israel, 
Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his finger, he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it and from the impurity and from the impurities of the sons of Israel consecrate it. So the wages of sin was death. The, the penalty of sin is death. Something had to die. In order to cover the, the, the sins of the people of Israel, in order to, to cover their sins, something had to die. Blood was required. And so every year they would have what's called the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is the day where, where the high priest would come into the, the tabernacle or later the, the temple, and he would, he would, he would make a, a blood offering to the Lord to cover the sins of the people. He would sacrifice an animal to cover the sins of the people. But the Day of Atonement was never meant to be permanent. That's why God required it every year. And every year they had to come into the tabernacle or the temple, and they had to, to make atonement for the sins of the people. It had a purpose, but it was really just preparing God's people for the need for a sacrifice, for a singular, perfect sacrifice, one that would come down the road. The sacrificial system was, wasn't permanent, but it pointed to the permanent solution. Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews writes about this sacrificial system. And he, he writes about it within the context of thinking about the Messiah. He says, for the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, the, the, this day of atonement, make perfect those who draw near. The, the day of atonement was never meant to make us perfect. It was only meant to cover up our sin temporarily. Verse two, it says, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. So, so the, the, the purpose of the sacrificial system was, was really to make them remember their sins every single year, to point to their need for one who would take away the sins of the world. And in the law, we see a shadow of what's to come. And then following the law, we have the books of the prophets and the minor prophets. The prophets, the purpose of them is, is we see the mouth of God preparing his people to expect a savior. The mouth of God, prophets were people who God would speak through. So they would often say the word of the Lord. This is, this is what the Lord is saying. And they all pointed towards the seed, the savior who would deal Satan a death blow. It's like this, this epic battle throughout history. I told you guys yesterday, I, I love the Marvel movies. Like this battle between the Jesus and Satan, it, if you imagine, it's bigger than, than, than Endgame. 
Like it's a, it's a bigger battle than Avengers Endgame. This is, this is a battle between Jesus and his angels, between, between his army of Christians here in this world, between Satan and his demons. This is a, this is a clash of power. And it's a clash to the death. It's a fight with only one thing in mind, and that's death. And so these prophets pointed to, to things that would happen hundreds or thousands of years into the future. I want to give you just a sample of what these prophets said. Zechariah 9.9, the prophet Zechariah writes this. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the baby of a donkey. Zechariah says that the Savior, this Messiah that one day will come, he will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He did. We know the, I mean, we celebrate Christmas. We know Jesus came in. We know that Jesus came into Jerusalem riding a donkey. I meant Easter, obviously. But we know Jesus came in riding on a donkey as, as a victor. Isaiah 53, it's known as the suffering servant. It, it says that the Messiah will suffer this great uh, uh, tribulation, that he would be whipped and beaten. And we know that we know the, the, the crucifixion story. We know that, that that's exactly what happens to the Messiah. Psalm 16, 8 through 11, says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me a path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Says the Savior is going to rise from the grave. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The, the Messiah says himself that he brings to us a new covenant. And then Psalm 118.22, the stone, the Messiah, which the builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. Psalm 118 predicts that that the Messiah would be rejected. The prophets, do I have any volleyball players in here? Anybody? Okay, sweet. Uh, any basketball players? Okay. The, the law and the prophets is like the perfect set to the spike in volleyball. The, the law and prophets is the perfect alley to the oop in basketball. What God's doing in the Old Testament is he's, he's just setting up the slam. Like he's throwing it up there and Jesus is coming and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna finish the play. But first, the, you can't have an alley-oop without the pass. You can't have a spike without the pass. You, 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 need, you need to be set up. And God's preparing his people for the Savior. 
He's preparing his people for the the Savior that's going to come on the scene. He showed them the need for a sacrifice. He showed them their sin and their need to be redeemed. And he used prophets throughout history to proclaim exactly what he would do. But there was still one more thing, one more reason for the law. Romans, if you have have your Bibles, open to Romans 3. Starting in verse 19. Paul writes this, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. The law is meant to show us our sin because, verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law had two purposes. First, it had, it had the purpose to reveal the will of God for his creation. The, the law is God's will for you. As you look at the law in the Old Testament, God wants us to live that way for the most part. Some of the laws were for a, a, a place in time for the, the nation of Israel living in the Holy Land. But for the most part, especially the ones that, are, are, that Jesus affirms in the New Testament, it's the will of God for his creation. The law shows us God's desire for his people. But also... It's to open our eyes to sin and our need for grace. In other words, God reveals our law or his law so that we know how we mess up. He says it this way in the the next chapter, Romans 4, verse 15. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. The, the law is the standard, and that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what brings wrath is when we mess up against the law. And it's the standard everyone is measured against, but without the law, you can't break a law. How, how crazy would it be? How many of you guys have your driver's license? All right. Picture yourself driving in your hometown. You're driving, and there's no speed laws. None. There's nothing posted. You can do whatever you want. You've, you've never, no, your parents never told you how fast you can go. The law never told you how fast you can go. And you're driving down the road at like 80 miles an hour on a residential street and you get pulled over. And the cop comes and, and he, he goes, do you know how fast you were going? You're like, yeah, 80, it was great. I was getting from point A to point B faster than I've ever gotten. And he goes, I'm going to write you a ticket. And you're like, for what? He's like, for speeding. And you're like, what's speeding? And he's like, speeding's when you go after, go, go uh, faster than the law says you can go. And you're like, what's the law? Because nothing, nothing's been posted. You've never been told. How could you be held accountable to something that's never been revealed to you? It would be the most unfair thing that that anyone's ever done to you to hold you accountable to something that they've never told you you're accountable to. And so God brings the law so that we can know what the standard is, so that we can know what we're accountable to, what his expectation is for us. And so the law and the prophets 
they all point to God's solution to this human problem that we've been talking about, this, this problem with sin. This is what Jesus says about the Old Testament. So we, we, we wrapped up the whole Old Testament into, into one message, right? Here's what Jesus says. Don't miss this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. At this point, all they had was the Old Testament. Jesus is talking about the Old Testament, the scrolls that they would have, they would put in the synagogues and, and they, would, they would read them at the start of every, every service. It was, it, it, it's where kind of we got our church format from. They, they would sit in these synagogues and they would read from scrolls like Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and all these Old Testament prophets. And Jesus says, you search those scriptures. You search the Old Testament, hoping to find life in them. In other words, you're looking at the law and prophets, and you're like, I need to do this and this and this, and I need to check all of these boxes. But this is what he says. It's these that testify about me. Everything in the Old Testament, the law, the sacrificial system, the prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs, everything that you find in the Old Testament is pointing us to the Messiah. Everything that you find in the Old Testament is, is pointing us to, to God's solution to this human problem that we've been talking about for the last several days. Like God, God creates this, this plan and he puts it in place and in his wisdom, he knows, right? If, if, right after, if right after the fall, and like he's got Cain like killing Abel, and, and he's got the flood that needs to happen because so many people are so wretched, he knows that if he just takes Jesus and sends him, people are going to be like, yeah, right. Who's this guy claiming to be God? See, we talked about night one, that God made us in his image. And part of that image is this ability to reason. This ability for us to, to have rational thought. And so God knew us well enough to know that if we were going to follow Jesus, if we were going to believe in the Messiah, we needed evidence. Maybe you're here today and and that's exactly what you need. You're, you're not there yet. Like you're, you're, you think that, that all Christians do is just blindly follow some guy who came on the scene thousands of years ago and claimed to be God. Like you may think that, that, that all Christianity is is blind faith. And I would say if, if that's what you're, you're doing here, if, if you're if, if your faith is blind, if you don't know why you believe what you believe, then you're doing it the wrong way. Because God knew, he, he, he knew that we were rational beings that, that needed evidence. And so from the law to the prophets, what he does is he gives us this plan that unveils over time, that all points to Jesus so that thousands of years later, that, that as Jesus comes on the scene and he starts to fulfill all of these prophecies, as he, as he fulfills all the, the birth prophecies, and, and as he fulfills the, the, the riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, as he fulfills the suffering servant, as he fulfills being born in Bethlehem, as he, as he he fulfills all of these things. 
And as he becomes the perfect sacrifice, that we would go, oh, yeah. That's the one that we've been promised for thousands of years. See, the cool thing about God is he he doesn't do anything blindly. The evidence of his existence is all around us. It's the trees and the stars and the moon. And the evidence of of his plan is is incredible. The, the, The odds... The odds that Jesus or that one man would fulfill all of just the birth prophecies, just the prophecies he had no control over. Because, I mean, he had control over whether or not he rode a donkey into Jerusalem, right? But, but think of the ones he didn't have control over. He had no control over whether he was born in Bethlehem. He had no control over his name. He had had no control over all of these these prophecies that that he fulfilled just in his birth. The odds of one man fulfilling all of them is like stacking quarters waist high across the state of Texas. Anybody been to Texas? It's a big state. Closing your eyes, walking around for however long you want, marking one quarter with like a big giant red dot, dropping it down, walking around for as long as you want again, closing your eyes, and then just happening to bend down and pick up that one red quarter. That's the odds of Jesus just 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 fulfilling his birth prophecies, not to mention all the death prophecies, not to, not to mention his resurrection prophecies. He, he fulfilled all of these. And so I ask you, if you need evidence, what more do you need? The historical Jesus fulfilled the prophecies he had no control over. And the God of creation knew that in 2022 at Heartland Christian Camp, there was going to be somebody here who needs more evidence than they've already gotten. And so he he writes the whole Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we see the pursuit of God. In the Old Testament, we see God pursuing his creation that, that he loved too much just to let them go. I don't know if you need to hear that this morning. But wherever you are, the God of creation is pursuing you. He knows your name. He counts every hair on your head. For me, it's easier than some of you. And he spends the whole Old Testament creating a nation, giving us laws and sacrifices and prophets so that he could pursue your heart today, so that you could have evidence to say, it's not just blind faith. It's proven. God God pursues us like that cheetah I talked about at the beginning. He's all in because that's what we do when we lose something of value. It's like the story of the lost coin or the lost sheep. 
or the lost son. We had a problem that we talked about last night. And today Jesus is like, I'm coming. I'm coming. Because I love you. We'll talk about that tonight. Let's pray. God, we don't deserve you. None is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we say that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Lord, we are all sinners, every one of us here, whether we like it or not. God, I'm so grateful that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our separation from you, Lord, you started to pursue us, to make a way. Lord, thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for doing what we couldn't do on our own. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.